Welcome to the... Oh, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> I should have said chest first. <laughs> Welcome to the Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, and Transgender Ask It Basket Workshop. My name is Jessica. I'm a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Hi. Please join me in saying the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic devices be turned off. To protect our anonymity, no photography or visual recording are allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. An ASKIT basket is being circulated for the question and answer portion of this meeting. This meeting is being taped. If you enjoy this workshop, we encourage you to stop by the tape table to order copies of the workshop or any other meeting. They are available on CD or as an electronic download. The format for this meeting is as follows. Two speakers will share for 25 minutes each, followed by 25 minutes of questions and answers. The topic for this session is lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender. Our first speaker is Greg, and our second speaker is April. So, bring Greg up. And I'll start. Hi, everyone. I'm a compulsive reader, anorexic, and bulimic, and my name is Greg. Hi, Hi everyone. I'm going to pass around some pictures. Thanks, Jessica. And so I'm super nervous. I've never been taped before. And my, what came up for me in my 10th step today was I'm afraid that I'm going to be crazy and it's going to be documented on tape for the rest of my life. <laughs> so I'm also afraid that I'm going to curse. And so that came up too because I have a hard time not swearing when I'm sharing. So I'm going to work on that. So, so just a little bit about me. I've been in programs since April or May of 2006. I'll be abstinent for three years this upcoming July, and about almost four years free from purging. My top weight was about 50 pounds heavier than I am right now. My bottom weight was about 15 to 20 pounds lighter than I am right now. So I've been really far up and really far down. Yeah, I think that's worth topic. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm definitely a compulsive overeater. You know, just looking back on some of the things in my life, like really demonstrates to me that I'm I have a problem with food. And some of you have heard these stories before, so bear with me. Um, you know, I was on a first date with a guy a few years before I came into program, and we went out to the cheesecake factory, and I had my dessert, and he had his dessert, and he reached across the table with his fork and just took a little bit of my cheesecake, and without even thinking about it, I put my fork and I stabbed him in the hand. <laughs> You know, and I think the really messed up part is that we dated for a year and a half. So, you know, I've also, on my 30th birthday, which was about three years ago, I went kayaking with my partner, and we had never done it before, and our kayak capsized because I learned you can't lean too far over to one side without that happening. And so it flipped, and it hit my partner on the head. And um, he's just kind of laying there, floating, and I swam after the bag with my lunch in it. <laughs> you know, and the last thing that just really shows me I'm a compulsive overeater and my powerlessness over food is that I still to this day when I walk down the, 
the street, and I live in San Francisco, lots of homeless people, and people will leave food on top of the garbage pails for homeless people, and every time I pass it, I think about eating it. You know, and it's food that's been out there for, like, who knows how long. And so, like, I realize that I do not have a normal relationship with food. I am a compulsive overeater. And I've had this disease my entire life. I remember being a boy and, you know, hiding food in my bedroom and always wanting the biggest piece of whatever it was and always wanting to be as thin as possible. Just really kind of jacked up ideas around food. I learned in my family that being thin was the most important thing. It was more important than anything. And everyone in my family was obese and spent all their time trying to get thin. My mom told me that you can never be too rich or too thin. And that just sticks with me to this day. I'm trying to let that one go. Um, and so my disease definitely, you know, is a, disease, a progressive disease, and it got worse as I got older, especially as I started, you know, coming to terms with my sexuality. You know, like when I was in junior high and realizing that I was somewhat different, that, you know, all the boys weren't interested in the other boys. Like, I didn't know that. And I just kind of realized, huh, I'm different. And for me, that started me isolating myself from other people because I was so afraid of people really knowing me and knowing who I was and making fun of me for, for being gay and for being different. And so I kind of started separating myself from other people. And um, my eating, though, wasn't really too out of control at that time. Like, I had, like, binges every once in a while, but it wasn't that bad. It was when I went off to college and I was living on my own that I realized that um, I had no clue what the hell I was doing. Like, I had no clue how to live life. I had no clue how to be by myself, to live in a dorm with people who I didn't know. It was just so overwhelming for me. And to add on, add on to that, just the whole process of coming out was just super scary to start to, to tell people that I was gay and to let them in. And so um, it was super scary, and I felt really uncomfortable, and I started eating more and more and more. And I also started taking dance classes. Um, you know, ballet, jazz, modern dance, and there was such a focus on my body, you know, being in tights and being in leotards and rooms with mirrors on every wall. It was, it was a lot, you know, and at that time my binging was getting a lot worse. It was becoming an everyday thing. I was starting to gain weight. I was dancing and I was feeling really uncomfortable. And talking to some of the dancers about that, I'm like, what do you do? How do you stay thin? And, you know, someone suggested purging. And I was like, oh. You know, and I had thought about that before, but, you know, it didn't really appeal to me until that moment. And so I started making myself throw up after my binges. And it wasn't like an everyday thing, but um, there were periods of my life where I did that for every day, and there were periods of my life where I didn't do that, you know, at all for months at a time. And um, I developed this really awful cycle of restricting what I, during the day, no fat at all, and then after my dance rehearsals at night, I would go home and I would just binge and I would buy all this food in various different locations because I didn't want anybody to know what I was doing. And I would go into my bedroom, shut the door, and I would just binge the entire night. And then I would either throw up or I would exercise. Often I would go for a run, and this was upstate New York in the middle of winter, and I would go for a run outside in the freezing cold until I actually could throw up. And, um, you know, it wasn't not such a great time, you know. Um, but people were like, Craig, you're looking good. You're losing weight. And I was like, oh. And so the more people told me I looked good, the more I was willing to do it. 
and this cycle went on for years, probably for about 10 years or so. You know, where, no matter where I was, like geographically, whether I was at home or living in California, my home is New York, um, or you know, living with friends, living by myself, it was always the same. I had the same routine. Every night after rehearsal, after work, I went out and this is what I did. And that's how I spent my entire life. And it was really, it was really miserable. And I hated myself and I was so unhappy. And um, I wanted to die. You know, I was just emotionally, I wasn't really feeling anything. I was numb all the time. Physically, I was gaining weight. I couldn't do the restricting as much as easy. I, the purging I didn't want to do. And so it got to a point where I was just binging and that was it. And so I, you know, that's when I gained like all my weight. And I was about 50 pounds heavier than I am right now. And, um, was really, really unhappy. And um, I had this idea in my head that if I just lost the weight, then everything would be okay. And it just wasn't the case because I'd been really thin. I'd been much thinner than I am right now. And I'd been really overweight. And I was miserable regardless of my weight. So for me, that was like, okay, this isn't, doesn't have anything to do with my body. It's all in my head. It has to do with my brain. And so unfortunately, no, they don't make a diet to fix that. Um, <laughs> You know, and I looked for all of them. You know, I tried so many different ways to manage my weight. You know, like, I'm just going to eat three meals a day and have it all be balanced. And I'm going to not eat fat. And I'm not going to eat anything until 2 o'clock. And I am going to try this liquid, you know, drink this for 48 hours and lose 10 pounds. I tried all these different ways to manage it. And I would just go up and down, up and down, up and down. The cycle went on and on and on and on. And I got more and more depressed, more and more miserable. And I hated myself more and more. And I isolated more and more. There were periods of my life where I didn't leave my house, uh, where I would stay inside, not even go out to get the mail. The longest time for me was 30 days without leaving the house. Um, I did, at one point, I was living with my parents and I didn't actually leave for six months. I only left the house when they dragged me out of it. And I was, I was afraid of what people would think of me when they saw me. I felt so repulsive. I um, thought that gay men are supposed to look a certain way. You know, we're supposed to have six packs, we're supposed to have rippling chests and muscles everywhere, and I hated myself, and I hated my body, and I hated that I couldn't live up to this standard that I had for myself. And it just caused me a lot of pain, and I just couldn't face it. I couldn't face other people, and I couldn't face myself, and so I ate, and I ate, and I ate. And so in an effort to fix myself, I moved out to California, because things are different in California. Um, but unfortunately, they're not different in California. And I just found myself doing the same thing over and over and over again. Until one day I found, um, uh, I met a guy. And he was in AA, and we started dating. And I started telling him about what I was doing with food. You know, um, and he said, well, it sounds kind of like what I do with alcohol. And I was like, huh. And he's like, well, you know, they make programs for food. So I looked online and I saw, you know, 12-step meeting for food. And so I went. And I went not really for me. I went because I wanted to please him, you know, because I wanted him to be the one. And he would really like me if I did this. So I went once a week for about three weeks. And then we broke up. And I stopped going. <laughs> I'm like, well, what's the point? You know, the whole... You know, the whole picture I had of us spending the rest of our lives together was gone. So it's like, well, screw it. Why do I have to do this anymore? Um, but things only got worse from there. You know, from there I found myself one night binging. I didn't want to binge anymore. And so I took, I was eating some combos. And so I dumped them in 
keep doing that? Sorry. I dumped them into the garbage. I put a whole bunch of stuff on top of it. And I'm like, I'm done. And I said it just like that. And um, like maybe five or ten minutes later, I'm in the garbage picking out the combos, eating them, like, and just feeling devastated, like, what the hell is wrong with me? Why am I doing this again? I told myself I wasn't going to do this again. Why am I doing it? What the hell is wrong with me? I'm so stupid. I'm so weak. I'm out of control. You know, these are the things that went through my head every single day when I was binging. And it was just, it was just too much. And so I went online and I found um, OA. And so I went to my first meeting. It was a GLBT meeting. And I really kind of, I really identified with what people were sharing about. You know, the first speaker I, I heard just, she had my story. She, same family, same, well, similar experience. She wasn't anorexic or bulimic, but, you know, a lot of times it's not even about what I'm doing with the food. It's about the feelings behind it. So I can relate to pretty much anyone who's sharing a program. Um, and I heard what she had to say. And I was like, wow, I really, I felt, I'm not alone anymore is what I felt. I felt like this is a place where I can come and I can feel safe. And people are like me. And I'm not the only one. I thought I was the only one. I was afraid to talk to people about this because I thought I was the only person who just can't, who can't stop eating. Like, I'm the only jackass who binges every single night. I just didn't know other people did this. Um, and what also kept me coming back was, you know, one woman who after me gave me a hug, you know, and told me welcome. And so I keep coming back. And, like, I was just so touched that this complete stranger would actually take the time to talk to me and give me a hug that I did come back. I came back that next week and I came back every single week since then. And it's definitely been, you know, a journey and it's been really challenging. I'm not going to say that it's been easy, but it's been easier than living in the disease. You know, that was, that was super difficult. I mean, going through withdrawal, oh my God, that was awful. I wanted to crawl out of my skin I wanted to do anything to take the pain away, but you know, I just kept coming back and I kept going to meetings and I kept making phone calls and I got abstinent and it took me a while. I wasn't one of those people who got abstinent right away. It took me months upon months of struggling with the food, but I just kept doing what they told me to do. And um, eventually I did get abstinent and it was been, you know, it's a remarkable, you know, journey since then. So I came in. Didn't get a sponsor right away. I tried sponsoring myself, which didn't really work. I was really frightened to get a sponsor. Uh, I was afraid to be honest with anybody, you know, because I was afraid of that rejection. But in this program, I can't recover unless I'm honest about what I'm doing. So today, no matter what I'm doing, I'm talking to my sponsor about it because somebody else needs to know. Because it's my secrets that really, that really keep, keep me struggling and keep me in the dark and keep me closer to the food. And so I eventually did get a sponsor because someone actually said to me, do you want a sponsor? And I said yes. And, um, you know, the only reason I said yes is because I thought he was really hot. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, this guy is smoking hot and I still want to have sex with him. So I'm going to let him sponsor me. But, you know, he saw right through my bullshit. And he's like, you know, I'm not your friend. I'm not your boyfriend. I'm here to work the steps with you. You know, I'm here to share my experience, strength, and hope. And that's it. And I was like, okay. And so here we go. And then we started working the steps. And things started to change in my life. You know, I did have a relapse, but I did come back from that, you know, stronger than ever. 
And I'm so grateful for that experience in relapse because I really learned, one, that the disease for me is both sides. I had no clue that I was anorexic until I was hit my relapse um, because I didn't realize that I had been restricting so much food and that I was so underweight and I had been starving my body. No clue. I thought that, oh, well, I'm not binging and I'm getting thinner, so this is perfect. It's not a problem. But the reality is that it is a problem because when I restrict, I set my, myself up for a huge binge. And that's what I did. I binged for five months after restricting for about five or six months. And so for me today, it's like I have to have a way to measure food plan that a medical professional gives me because me, myself, cannot choose a food plan for myself because I am anorexic and bulimic and sometimes crazy and I need an outside person, professional, to tell me what to do. Thank you. And that's just that's just what I need for my recovery. Other people are able to do that, but you know, I'm not one of them. And so, um, what was I saying? oh, so I came back to my relapse, started the steps again, and the steps to where change happened for me. You know, without the steps, this is another diet plan, and for me, I can't follow a diet plan. I need an entirely new way of living. You know, like it says in the big book, a new way of acting on life rather than reacting to it. And all I did in my life was react. React with anger and frustration and judgment and fear. And with, after working the steps, there's this pause that I have now where I can actually not react but actually act and make decisions about what is, actually, what is it that I actually need to do, you know, and how do I take care of myself. You know, before, all I could do was eat and that was it. So for me, I learned so much from working the steps. You know, that step one, you know, admitted I was powerless over food and my life was unmanageable. I learned that I actually have a disease and I'm not just a piece of shit who can't stop binging. You know, I'm, I have a disease just like a diabetic or somebody with cancer. You know, you don't tell a diabetic, we'll just stop being diabetic. You know, it just doesn't work. You know, you can't. You know, I've never met anyone who could will themselves to not be diabetic anymore. You know, it's just not possible. Like, I have a disease, and it's not, so for me, this is not a moral issue. You know, I'm not a bad person trying to get good. I'm a sick person trying to get well. And for me, that just relieves so much of the pressure for me. And then step two, you know, came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. It's like, wow, I'm not responsible for fixing myself. Something else is going to do it. Oh, my God. I don't have a problem with the insanity part because I knew I was crazy. Um... But like, oh, I get to rely on a power greater than myself to restore me to sanity. Which sounded kind of easy, but realizing for me that like, oh, that meant I had to, you know, put aside all of my ideas about the higher power I grew up with who punishes me because I'm gay. You know, the higher power I grew up with didn't like AIDS. You know, you go to hell for that. And um, I couldn't work with a higher power like that. I need a higher power that was going to love me and accept me as I am. So I got to create my new, a new higher power. I wrote a little job description of everything that I wanted this power to look like in my life. And then I got to pray for the willingness to believe it. And it worked. You know, because, like, I can't turn my will and my life over to a power greater than myself if I don't trust that higher power. If, that, if I don't believe that higher power is going to love me and take care of me and do what's best for me, then I can't take the third step. And so for me, it was like I've really had to work on my relationship with my higher power just like I would with another person. You know, it wasn't just like, oh, you snap your fingers and then there's that great relationship with the higher power. You know, it's like it didn't work that way for me. I had to work on it just like I had to work on my relationship with my partner. You know, it took time and it took a lot of prayer on my part. 
you know, unfortunately, you know, my hard part doesn't have to do anything. You know, he just has to show up. And, you know, I have to do all the footwork, which is fine, you know, because I can do the footwork if it means I get to have a connection with my higher power. So then taking the third step, the third step to me is just amazing because it means I don't have to control anything anymore. You know, I just have to suit up and show up and let my higher power take care of the results. You know, and my sponsor has such a great analogy for that. She talks about, you know, being on a tightrope and walking across Niagara Falls. And, um, you know, my higher power has got the wheelbarrow, right? He's going to push this wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls, across this tightrope. I'm his assistant. I'm just standing there. And he is up on the tightrope, and he's pushing the barrow, and he turns back to me and he's like, Greg, you know, do you think I can make it to the other side? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, then get in the wheelbarrow. And for me, that's what taking the third step is about. It's about trusting and having faith in my higher power. Like, I have faith that my higher power can get me to the other side, but am I going to trust him to do that? You know, am I going to actually, you know, do I believe that my higher power will help me with this food issue and help me to never, ever compulsively overeat one day at a time? I mean, I have faith in that, but I, do I, am I going to trust my higher power to, to do that for me? And when I do trust my higher power, when I'm in that wheelbarrow and going to the other side, it's wonderful. But when I'm like, no, nope, not going to do it. I'm staying there on the, you know, on the, the cliff by Niagara Falls, having my little tantrum. No, you know, I don't feel great. You know, when I'm disconnected from my higher power, I feel really shitty. You know, things don't seem to go as well in my life. You know, when I'm letting my higher power run the show, it's a completely different story. And so I've got five minutes left, so I always, I can never make it through all 12 steps. But that's okay. We'll move on to four, because I love four and five. I just finished a, another four and five, and it was such an amazing process to do it. Twice I had to go back and look at all those things that, one, I wasn't ready to look at the first time, or two, things that just kind of popped up that I didn't even know existed. And it was just another opportunity to take that inventory about my resentments and fears and just, and just clean house, and then share it with my sponsor, who... My sponsor, when I, when I did my first fit set with her, like, I was so afraid of what she was going to think of me and so afraid of she wasn't going to work with me anymore. What's going to happen if I let her see the real, true me? And I was so scared of that, you know. But it says in the big book, or in the fifth step in the 12 and 12, something about, you know, when we take the fifth step, it is the first step towards the beginning of the end of the isolation for us. And I spent so long by myself and afraid of other people that I really just wanted to connect with somebody. And, um, you know, also it says that we cannot, that we cannot fail to recover. And for me, that was just remarkable. It's like, I really do want to recover. And the people who have what I want have taken this step and survived it. So I'm going to give it a shot. And I shared with her what, everything that was up for me, everything that was in my fourth step. And she, at the end, said, you know, you haven't said anything that I haven't already heard, you know, and I love you. I don't love you any less now. And for me, that was just remarkable that somebody could hear all my deepest, darkest secrets and still love me unconditionally. And, um, and I'm so grateful for that. I'm re- I really am. And so I want to just wrap up by talking about, like, what it's like now because I've had so many wonderful gifts or, you know, like I hear them call it the cash and prizes from the program. Um, you know, today I'm maintaining a healthy weight without doing the absolute insane things that I was doing before. I no longer eat to the point where I'm in so much pain that I cannot breathe. I no longer steal food from roommates or coworkers or stores. 
I don't restrict my food. I don't throw up. I, you know, eat my meals every day. You know, I call in my food to my sponsor. I, um, you know, I'm in a relationship now with a partner that I get to show up for and who I actually want to be with as opposed to just dating whoever will take me. You know, whoever I feel like, oh, well, they like me. I don't really like them, but I'll date them. And, yeah, okay, I'll do whatever they want. You know, I don't have to do that anymore. I can actually have boundaries and say no and feel okay with that. You know, I'm learning to love myself. And most days now I love myself. Some days I don't. But it's so much better than it was. I no longer pray to God to take me. I really am grateful to be alive, and I'm happy most of the time. Before recovery, I was miserable all the time, and I had moments, brief moments, where I felt happiness. And today, like, I'm happy most of the time, and I have brief moments where I feel miserable. And so it's just a total shift in my life. I have a job that I love and that I can show up for, and I don't get angry and resentful every time people don't do what I want them to do, you know, which is, you know, all the time. <laughs> but, you know, I get to be like, okay, you know what, this is a different person, and they're going to do what they're going to do, and I get to be okay with that, you know. I mean, I accept it. It doesn't mean I have to like it, but I accept it. You know, um, I get to show up for myself and for my sponsees, and I have better relationships with my family today. I actually have friends. Yeah, I have friends. <laughs> I have a healthy body. Uh, sex is like way better now than it ever was. Um, I, even like with the lights on, you know, I can show up in my body for my partner. I am not obsessed with what do they think about my body. I can actually relax and enjoy it. You know, I feel so much better about my body. I still have to do a lot of work on my body image because I struggle with that. Um, but it is so much better than what it was, and I don't tell myself that, oh, you know what, well, when I'm thin, I can take that vacation, or when I'm thin, I can go to this pool party, or when I'm thin, then I can go out and do A, B, or C. I don't have to do that anymore. You know, I get to live my life um, today and not just wait for all these things to happen, because the reality is it's never, ever going to be perfect, and I can say I have to wait and it'll never come, and I'll miss out on my life. I don't want to miss out on any more of my life because I missed out on years of it. You know, I, I missed out on an entire career. You know, I, I studied dance for a really long time, and I wanted to have a career as a dancer, but the disease took that from me because I was no longer able to dance. You know, I just, I wasn't able to leave my house, let alone dance. You know, and I missed out on a lot, and I'm happy to say that I don't ever have to do that again. You know, one day at a time, I'm recovering from compulsive overeating, anorexia, and bulimia, and I don't have to hurt myself anymore with food. I love myself today, and I know that I deserve so much more in my life. I deserve the promises, and I deserve to be happy, joyous, and free. And this program is such a gift, and I'm so grateful for it. So thank you all for letting me share. Thank you, Greg. Our second speaker today is April. Hi, I'm April. I'm a compulsive overeater. So I'm thinking about this workshop. I'm going, well, what is the topic exactly? Uh, <laughs> um, so one thing I was thinking of it is where. What have I gotten from this program, and what are the lessons that I've learned that 
I could be applying even today. And one is something that I've heard many times, and that is, if nothing changes, nothing changes. Um, just to qualify, uh, I came into program in January of 01, and I've been abstinent um, since the same month, not right away, but January of 01, and I've maintained a 45 to 47 pound weight loss. Um, coming into program, I was um, what I would consider um, uh, at first a fat and happy person. I ate um, to um, mask all of the um, fear and self-hatred um, that, that I had just below the skin um, and, of course, resentments towards um, other people. I was married. I was in a relationship for um, 20, about 20, uh, almost 20 years at that point. And um, I was irritable, restless, and discontent um, because uh, I wanted something different than what I had. Um, so, um, <clears throat> flashback to the 1970s in San Francisco. And I was a member of a revolutionary feminist organization. Um, and um, I came out as a lesbian and fell in love, and I had a great time. The 70s were a great time to be in San Francisco. And, um, and you know, life was great. And then things shifted, and I ended up in New York City alone, and um, made friends with this fella who turned out to be kind of a soulmate on one level. We could really communicate. And I ended up getting married. And I thought, oh, well, I'll just, I guess I'm just bisexual. And that was how I thought of myself. And then I'd have fantasies of, okay, well, I could be married and have a woman lover and, you know, but that never happened because, um, you know, it's just like I could be a dancer, I could be a singer, I could win the lottery. Um, in the meantime, um, I was, you know, pretty much from um, puberty on, someone who ate, lost weight, gained weight, lost weight, gained even more weight, up and down, up and down. That was pretty much my food story. Um, just before I came into program after being married, um, someone walked into my life and um, she was in a relationship with another woman, but we hit it off and I got involved with her and I was you know, of course, convinced I was in love, and um, but I wasn't prepared to leave my husband. And why wasn't I prepared to do that? Well, because I would feel guilty. You know, I was convinced that um, his happiness depended on me, which wasn't true. Um, <laughs> And I wasn't, I didn't really believe that. The real problem is that I had a problem with honesty. Um, I had a problem um, with self-acceptance. 
um, and I didn't want, and I was afraid, and I had no higher power, I had no God. It was like, oh, sure, I know I'm a lesbian. I hate being in this uh, marriage and having a relationship with someone that, you know, he's a nice guy, but it's just not the kind of relationship I'm looking for. And um, um, so I started eating even more and more and more. And sometime as I, um, along those that path, I said, okay, well, here I am, heavier than I've ever been in my life. What do I do? Okay, I'm afraid to go on a diet. Because every diet I'd been on, I rebounded to even a higher weight. And by then, I was like in the, you know, mid-180s. And I said, well, if I go on a diet, then I'm going to end up at 200. And if I end up at 200, I'm going to keep going. And if I go keep going from that, I'll be 300, and then I'm going to kill myself, either, fat, either right away or eventually. So I didn't go on a diet. <clears throat> I said, okay, I'll just... Um, maintain my weight. I increased my exercise. I'd already been swimming three times a, a week for years. And um, so now I'm walking, um, going to the gym, swimming. And like I said, if nothing changes, nothing changes. And I couldn't even maintain my weight. I kept gaining. So then it was like, well, now what? And this is where I think there is a, a, um, a power greater than myself who, um, or it, whatever you want to say, um, enabled me, gave me the willingness to consider a different way. Considering, um, I considered coming into a weight loss program. I thought, I can't do this alone. I'm going to go to Weight Watchers. I'd never done that before because I was too cheap. And I didn't want to weigh myself in public. How humiliating. So, um, anyway, but then I just kept thinking and thinking and thinking. And I had already been familiar with um, 12-step programs. I had tried Al-Anon years earlier, but I flunked the second step, so I had to leave. Um, and... <laughs> Um, I said, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to OA. And my husband said, <laughs> I was an atheist, he was an atheist. He says, if you start believing in God, we're getting a divorce. Well, I guess that was a premonition. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, in the meantime, I'm still having this affair, um, but I got the willingness to come in. And my very first meeting, it was, uh, it was miraculous. You know, I walk in, sit down, there's this large circle of women, and I'm the only fat person in the room. And I was like, wow, am I in the right place? And, um, you know, people were sharing, and I could identify with some of what they were saying. And one person shared and said how she, well, she'd um, been abstinent. I didn't really know what that meant, but she'd been that same weight for, like, 20 years. And I thought, that's what I want, because I was tired of this yo-yo thing. Actually, I was, you know, afraid of it. 
So um, then I'm, um, you know, it was a step study meeting, and I'm going to three meetings a week, and I get a sponsor, I'm doing everything, and then, and um, at one point people are talking about the fourth step, and, you know, admitting that they'd had an affair to their husband, and I'm going, I'm not going to even admit it to my sponsor, let alone to my husband. Um, so, um, but I did. And um, I don't know why, but I knew that if I didn't come clean right then and there, you know, in the course of my fourth step, then there was just no hope for me. And I really wanted what she had. I wanted what you had. And I was willing to just, you know, it wasn't a pretty fourth step. There are a lot of things that got left off, but I got the big things, you know, like, okay, I'm cheating on my husband, and not only that, but it's someone who works for me, and um, she's alcoholic, and a drug addict, and overweight, and, you know, practically penniless, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I just kept working the steps. And somewhere along the line, I was able to let go of that relationship and focus on the fact that, really, I was unhappy in my marriage. I was unhappy being in the closet. And, you know, it kind of dawns on me how we say our disease is a disease of isolation. Well, being in the closet is a disease of isolation. So it's something I'm pretty good at. Um, and, um, and then I finally, you know, for, I was in program for five years and I kept telling myself, my program friends and my sponsor, okay, I'm going to leave them. I'm going to leave them. But then I did. I'm going to, but I didn't. And back and forth. And, um, I had to work. I went back to Al-Anon. That was really, really important. Um, and because I learned that, you know what, I don't make other people happy, and they don't make me happy. And as much as I, you know, care for this other person in my life, we cannot make each other happy. And I need to do what I need to do to live the life that I want to live. And God gave me the courage to do what was important to me, what I needed to do. Um, but before I did, I told, my, I committed to myself and to my higher power that I would not leave the marriage before I did a ninth step with him. And so I did. Um, now, I didn't admit everything, but I did take responsibility for my behavior in the relationship. And um, because I have a problem with honesty, I felt like, well, if I just left, without taking responsibility for who I was in this relationship, regardless of my issues um, with myself, um, then I was not really being honest. I was not really working this program. It would just be another way of running away. So um, so I did that, and then, um, then I just, you know, kept asking for the willingness and the courage and the direction from my higher power, and one day... I said, okay, and I set a date, and I came up with a plan, and um, and I said, I'm leaving, and this is why, and, um, and I did. And afterwards, 
I was so happy I started hating myself because, well, why not, you know? Um, because I was like, well, why didn't I do this before? Why did I wait so many years? Um, and my, you know, I'm in tears. And my sponsor says, April, you couldn't have left any sooner than you did. And, and I think that's true for when I came into program. I couldn't have gotten absent before I did. You know, as much as we want things, we just, you know, we get them when we get them. And, um, and that's all there is to it. Um, abstinence changed my life, I want to say, because it was at the point when I stopped, when I put down the food, that I became crystal clear what was wrong with my life. And that was, I was living in a dishonest relationship in the closet and cheating. <laughs> I mean, how bad can it get? Um, and so, you know, I said, well, no wonder I'm eating, you know. But um, fortunately, I didn't take that as an excuse to go back into the food. And well, so while I say absence changed my life, I have to say that this program of the 12 steps is what changed my life. And um, I think we've heard other speakers talk about, well, you can't have one without the other. And if there's anything that separates us from a diet club, it's the 12 steps and working them. Um, so I want to um, fast forward to uh, today. Uh, today, I have a lot of what I wanted. Uh, it's... Um, you know, I've learned to accept that <laughs> and not cry over it. And um, yet I, you know, again, have issues in my life, things that I am not happy about. And they happen to be more in the area of my, my work, my profession, my livelihood. And, um, and that... Um, is what really brought me to the idea of if nothing changes, nothing changes. So it's kind of like, I feel like I'm in the same place I was, you know, like nine years ago, eight years ago, seven years ago, of wanting my life to be different than it is. Being uncomfortable um, with the life that I have. Well, not my whole life, just this one part of my life. And... Thank you. Um, so, uh, you know, it kind of just dawned on me that um, with the f uh, food, food was coming between me and my higher power. And whenever I start obsessing about the food, it's because God is, it, God is no longer between me and, and a higher power. And that, you know, those are always signs for me that I have to strengthen my relationship to my higher power. Um, I have been irritable, um, restless, and discontent lately around my job, um, and I'm the kind of person who can identify a lot of external things and people for the cause of my misery and uh, excuses for why I'm not doing my job perfectly because they're not doing their job perfectly, or they don't even know how to do their job, so how could I do my job? Um, and um, 
so I'm having to, or I, you know, I get to use the steps and a lot of the lessons that I've learned in other times in, my, in the earlier time of my life, which is, um, you know, who am I? You know, am I this person or am I that person professionally? You know, it's like, am I a doctor or am I a lawyer? Um, what am I? Am I someone who's going to make a lot of money or am I going to be someone who's going to live a life of service and be satisfied with, you know, enough to live on? Um, and um, what makes me happy and who makes me happy? And so those are the questions that I, you know, I had had to ask myself before and today I'm asking them again, but around a different issue in my life. And... Um, I don't know what the answers are right now. Stay tuned. Um, and I'm, you know, very grateful that I have a program that will, I have every space will be helpful around that. Because, you know, it's kind of like when you start feeling change coming, I don't know about you, but for me, that's when the fear starts coming in. It's like, oh, yeah, but, you know, I could do this, but I could do that. But, and um, as my therapist said, April, you're the queen of the abbots. Um, always finding an excuse to not do what it is that I feel a calling for, that I feel that strong conviction about. Um, so if nothing changes, nothing changes. And this is a program of change. Um, that's something that I'm just um, really grateful about. And my partner today is um, not really clear why it is that I have to keep coming back, um, but, but I do, and, and I'm going to. And um, coming to the convention is really great because I get to hear a lot of that, of people telling their story and why I keep coming back is really what works. And, um, and that's about it. Sorry I didn't take up 20 minutes, but thank you for listening. The speakers will now draw questions from the Ask It basket for the remainder of the meeting. Has that made its way around? My question is, please talk about your spiritual practice. So, um, so my spiritual practice starts in the morning. I, I pray every morning, and I usually get down on my knees and pray, asking my higher power, who I call God, to for help with whatever I need help with. You know, please help me make it through today. Absolutely. Please help me be of service. Please help me turn my will and my life over to you today. And a whole bunch of things that I ask for help with as well as some affirmations um, also I read from Voices of Recovery for today as well and then I pray throughout the entire day I pray before each meal and I ask my heart power to um, I, I thank him for this food and I ask him to please help help, help it be enough 
and also to please help me to stop eating it <laughs> when I'm supposed to stop eating. And um, so I do that before you know, before each meal that I pray throughout the day whenever I need help. And then at the end of the day, um, I say thank you. You know, when I'm in bed, I you know, thank God for another abstinent day and for any of the other gifts that I've received from Him. And then meditation is something that I struggle with. I try to do it on occasion. Normally it'll happen for me if I'm like in like a yoga class or something like that where I can actually be still and quiet. And, um, but for the, for the most part, I do struggle with the, with the meditation. Maybe I can do maybe five, maybe ten minutes, but for the most part, it's just kind of like, I'm like, all right, you know, let's go. So I struggle with that, but it's important for me to maintain a connection with my higher power um, by whatever means necessary. So, like, you know, for me, it's just a lot, a lot of prayer, a lot of God dialogues as well, like, where I'll, I'll write, and I'll write, like, what I want to say to my higher power, and then I'll write a response for my higher power, and that helps me to connect as well, and it helps me also to get some clarity around my higher power's will, because sometimes, you know, I'm not so sure, so it helps me to put things in perspective. You know, however, like, a person connects to higher power, you know, it's fine if it involves walking through nature or whatever. You know, whatever works for people um, is fine. At least, you know, that's my, that's what I feel. So, thank you. Um, this question um, is from someone who says she's attracted to both men and women um, and wants to know, how do I know if I'm a lesbian? Um, and can talk about it with a few people, but um, wants to know where to go from here. Well, I don't have an answer for that, but I would um, ask, the, you know, where are you in the steps? You know, how long have you been in program? Are you absent? Those kind of things. Um, I guess I ask those because they had so much to do with me um, and how I uh, came out again. Um, and I'm willing to take phone calls around that question because um, I know this is this can be a very um, you know threatening thing to explore with a stranger, but I'm willing to talk with people offline. I'm not giving my phone number out over the tape. <laughs> so I'm sorry, I don't have a, a real, you know, there's not a formula for that. Um, I, I do know that one thing that was really helpful for me, not so much about that question specifically, but in general about knowing how I wanted to live my life and what the next steps were is um, having a very strong relationship with my higher power um, because I think underneath our ability to answer these questions for ourselves is, is fear. And the one thing that I've, one of the things I've learned here is that the anecdote for fear is faith. And if we feel we don't have enough faith, then perhaps who we have faith in or what we have faith in is not big enough, strong enough, kind enough, loving enough, accepting enough. Um, when I was doing my second step in OA and writing that job description for my HP, 
Um, one of the things that was very important to me is my higher power could not be judgmental. I'd grown up with judgmental, critical parents, and I'm very sensitive to criticism. And um, so it's, you know, it was very important to me to have some, a higher power that I could go to. Um, and I also know that coming to these answers is not a straight line, no pun intended. Uh, you know, it's um, kind of like one step forward, two steps back, over to the left, over to the right. Um, it kind of reminds me when I was dating, um, being single. Um, I was kind of like, okay, I'm going to put myself out there. And I put myself out there, and of course, you know, nobody's calling, nobody's sending me emails, nobody's coming up to me after the at the dance, etc. Um, and or I go out on a date with somebody, and it's like, well, this isn't the person. And then it's like, okay, I can only be out there for so long. Now I'm going to just let it go for now, and I'm just going to live my life. You know, I don't have an answer to this you know, issue, and so just live my life. And I would say that about any issue that we're trying to figure out, is just live your life according to who you are. You know, just be yourself and uh, not um, be obsessed with answering that question because the answer may not come today. But in the meantime, you might be losing out on, you know, some really good days. Uh, so, um, yeah, my uh, relationship with my higher power making sure my higher power is strong enough, big enough, kind enough, loving enough, and accepting enough. And um, also having a relationship with um, my sponsor, whom I felt was like, well, she's not a lesbian, but she's someone who um, has gone through a lot and has what I want in terms of absence and program and, um, you know, making sure that I keep checking in, be honest about that. It's not the topic of discussion every day, um, but when it is, when that's what's up for me, right, doing the writing, doing just like I would, like I do now, around what job do I want to have. Um, so um, I guess those are the two, two things that I would suggest. Those are the only two questions in the basket. Does anyone else have um, any questions that they'd like to ask before we close the meeting? Okay.
if people have opinions about that, they can um, actually you can talk to me. I'm at the volunteer table the whole time, so if you, I can get that information out to um, the other organizers. Okay, if there are no other questions, it is now time to close. Let's thank our speakers and all who have done service. Please stand and join hands as we close with the OA promise, I put my hand in yours.